Turn, please, to 1 John in chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, please. This is also printed, this text, in your bulletin. So if you haven't a Bible close by or some device upon which you can look, you can uh, find this text written. It's not a long one. 1 John in chapter 2, verses 15 uh, through 17. And as you found that, which is our tradition, let's begin even before we read uh, to pray. Father in heaven, uh, now please your blessing upon this word to us, that even as we hear it, we know that we're he- what we're hearing read is, 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 is you speaking to us. So enable us then to take it in like that, to sit before it, to listen, knowing ourselves under it, not over it, ourselves to receive it, to believe it, and to live. So be with us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, please. This is the word of the Lord. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. And then together we say, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And what I'd like to do, if God will help me, is to take up this passage in two parts, really four, since each sermon these days is divided into two each Sunday. But... uh, uh, to take just one thought today and then finish um, next, uh, next week. You may think this is uh, only three verses, why can't you do it in all in one, one time period? And, and I probably could, most good preachers probably could. But what I'd like to do is just to take today this word world that we find in this passage and, and, and think about it together so that we really have a grasp of what John is talking about when he says to us that we're not to love, we're not to love the world. And I do this because, number one, that this word world is very important to John as he writes. Um, He uses it six times just in these three verses. He uses it 24 times in just this little epistle. In fact, of the 186 times that the word cosmos, world, is used in the New Testament, John uses it 105 of those times. So 56% of all the uses of the word world in the New Testament are, are, are used by John. And so somehow this is on his mind. If you said, what does the Apostle John want to communicate? We would say he at least wants to communicate something to us about the world. And so I want to take that this time this morning and, and consider this uh, not only that, but you may have caught it as you were listening that we're, said, we're told that we're not to love the world, and yet perhaps in your mind is that very important verse to us of John chapter 3, verse 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And so why is it that we're not to love the world when the Bible says that God actually loves the world? And so what's the deal with, with that? <clears throat> and not only that, we see that John gives us a grave warning here about the world and our love for it. And he says there's two reasons why we must take great care 
in our relationship with what he calls the world in this passage. The first is, he says, notice, do not love the world, verse 15, or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so we're not to love the world, but we know we are to love the Father. The two are antithetical. If we love the world, it's impossible for us to love God and even to know his love. And so that on its own should, should just send shivers up and down our spine when we think of world in this sense. But then he also ends like this. And he says, verse 17, and the world is passing away along with its desires. So you see, if we put our eggs in the back of the world, we'll lose everything. Even the desires that we have will not be satisfied. They'll never be satisfied if our desires are for what the world, as John lays it out in this passage, has. But then he goes on to say, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And so we know that if we do the will of God, which is really equal to loving God, if you love the world, you do the will of the world. If you love God, you do the will of God. But we know the one who loves God, who does the will of God, then abides forever. So we cast our lot with God and loving him and doing his will, then that goes on for all eternity. If we cast our lot with the world, it passes away. So John says, church, sit up and take notice. Really, really, don't love, don't love the world. So the question then is, what does the world mean here? Well, we find as we read through the scripture, particularly the New Testament, that we find the word world means different things in different contexts. Shouldn't surprise us. Uh, words that we use on a daily um, mean something different in a different context. It's not unlike me to say I love chocolate and I love my wife, but I mustn't ever confuse what I mean by love in either of those in those ways. Well, when when our son was young, he he liked that uh, comic strip Calvin and Hobbes. I don't even know if it's being written today, but for birthday Christmases, we'd often buy him these little books of Calvin and Hobbes and read through them together. And one of the ones that I remember that I I liked, you know, Calvin was a little boy with a big imagination. And uh, one of the ones that I liked is that Calvin was imagining himself as as a fighter pilot. Actually, not that. As a gunner on a on a on a fighter plane. And um, the next caption said, the pilot, the message to Calvin was, enemy planes at two o'clock. And Calvin said, well, what do we do till then? <laughs> uh, two o'clock meant something different in that context than it could mean in a different context. And that's the way it is with the word world, so we have to be careful. When the scripture says that God loves the world, he, he, he doesn't mean it in the same sense that John means it here. He says he loves that which he's created. So much does he love that which he's created that he, he sent his son to redeem it, you see. Just like we have in, in chapter two of 1 John, verse two, that, that he is the propitiation for our sins, not only our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Uh, that doesn't mean that everybody's sins are forgiven and thus everyone is saved. We know that to receive forgiveness of sins, one must repent and believe in Jesus. But he's saying that Jesus is the only savior for anyone in the world in the same way that we read in the Revelation 
that uh, Christ has redeemed various ones, people from various tribes and tongues, people and nation. So there is this sense of the world as uh, Psalm 24 uh, has it that um, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all therein. You see, the creation. So sometimes it simply means the creation and all that's there. And the creation, for God was good. He made it good. And, and so there are good things in the world, uh, our families and marriage and the beauty of the earth that we see and uh, good food and all of that, relationships, good things in the world, the things that we're to love in that sense. But, but now this word world takes on an ethical sense that's, that's evil, that's bad. You, you, you feel it when John says, don't love the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father isn't in him. And, and the world's passing away along with its desires. For whoever does the will of God abides forever. We get it, we see. That's what I'd like to do, and this is gonna be very deliberate and a bit plodding, but I wanna look at a number of passages of scripture and, uh, and, 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 and get a sense of what the world means by way of these passages. Now, you can look them up as I, as I cite them. I've written them all out so I don't have to keep thumbing through. But through 1 John, for instance, 1 John in chapter three and verse one, we have this passage. He writes, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. So all of a sudden we see this difference. We realize that the world doesn't even know us because the world doesn't know Jesus. I don't know about it in your life, but sometimes you, you, you know someone, there's something so pervasive about them that if you don't know that, you don't know them. It might be something they like to eat. It might be a place they like to go. It might be an experience that they've had. It might be a sport that they like or a hobby or, or a book or an idea, whatever it is. If you don't know that about them, you really don't know them. And we know, you know this, that our identity is Christ as Christians. And you know, perhaps you have this frustration with people in your life who know you, but they don't because they don't really understand. They really don't know about Christ and your relationship with him. And so the world, as John describes it, that we're not to love doesn't know us because the world doesn't know him. Uh, John in his gospel wrote this in chapter one, verse 10. He said, he, that, that is Jesus, was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world didn't know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him, that is to Israel. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, we know him. The world doesn't know him. Then in chapter three of 1 John, verse 13, just this one sentence. John writes, do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. It isn't that the world simply doesn't know us because they don't know Christ, but the world hates us. And the reason the world hates us, this world, is because of Christ. Jesus put it like this. We have it in John's Gospel, chapter 15, verse eight. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. This is Jesus speaking. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, 
Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. You see all of this, and you might say, well, but, but, but I don't experience this, really. It doesn't seem like I experience this on a daily basis. There's this world that's against me all the time that doesn't know me, that hates me, that wants to persecute me and all that. I don't feel that all the time. And, and that's true, we don't, by the blessing of God, I suppose, in one way. But in another way, John says, but I want you to know that it's there. I want you to know that there's something the Bible calls the world that is against us and that stands against us because it stands over against against Christ. John 17, verses 14 through 18, Jesus' prayer. He says, I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they're not of the world just as I'm not of the world. I don't ask you to take them out of the world but you keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world just as I'm not of the world. So sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. This is the classic, be in the world, we're in the world, but not of it. Jesus doesn't say it quite that cleanly. Um, He wasn't into t-shirts like we are. Uh, So we kind of clean it up a bit and put it like that. Uh, We're in it, but not of it. Um, We're here, and Jesus said, not only am I gonna leave you here, but I'm gonna send you into it. So there's a mission involved. And so we realize that when you are being sent into the world, into this mission, this world doesn't know us because it doesn't know him. This world is against us because they're against him, right? There's something, and that we're sent as a mission into it, but we're never to be of it. We're never to adopt its values, its priorities, its passion. Something about it, this world that isn't ours. Then in 1 John chapter 4, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. In other words, a prophet is one who speaks for another. And so the world has prophets. These prophets speak and teach and train for the world, whether they know it or not. They speak of the values of the world. They speak of the priorities of the world. They speak of the passions of the world. They speak of the ways of the world. They speak of the the goals of the world, the promises of the world, and all of that. But they're false prophets, false in the sense they're not speaking for God. They're not speaking rightly about the things of God. They're not speaking rightly about the things of life. They're not speaking rightly about the things of eternity. And and John's, John's saying, you need to know this church this world is and you're in it but don't never but never imbibe of it in the same passage of 1 John chapter 4 uh, John goes on by saying this he says by this you know the spirit of God every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God and every spirit that does not confess uh, Jesus is not from God this is the spirit of the antichrist which you heard was coming and now is in the world already I know when you hear the word antichrist, bells and whistles go off, especially in the days in which we live because we're all thinking this is it. And I hope it is. But, but the spirit of antichrist is the spirit of the false prophet, the spirit that comes on behalf of the world to, to say the things that are not true and to lead us into things that are not true 
because they're false as pertains to God. And John's saying, this is already here. Now, later on in this chapter, we'll get into this in more, in more detail. But that's what John is laying out for them now. And then in verse four of this passage, he says, little children, you're from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, these false prophets, Antichrist, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. Implied, don't listen to them. The world listens to them. If you have a new international version, uh, it translates this little phrase, they speak from the world like this. They speak from the viewpoint of the world. In other words, there's this mindset, there's this understanding, there's this viewpoint of how we're to live, and what it means to live, what it means to flourish in the midst of the world in which we live, that's wrong. that's false, that doesn't come from God. Then 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, for everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? You see, the world will defeat us except that we believe in Jesus and he's overcome the world. You remember uh, how he put it uh, in, 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 in John chapter 16, verse 33. He said, he said, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And so we, we get it, we see the world against, but Jesus has overcome the world, we trust him. First John chapter five, verse 19. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Now we see something deeper. We see that the power behind all of this is Satan himself. Ephesians 2. We read, we, we read the prelim to this this morning from chapter 1. But chapter two, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in the work of the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You see, it's the spirit, the prince of the power of the air that's behind this world. And though the word world isn't used in Ephesians chapter six, we know this verse, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We see the battle. Romans 12, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By a different mindset, by a different viewpoint, by the renewing of your mind, by the word of God. 1 Corinthians 1, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Chapter two in 1 Corinthians. Now we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit of who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us from God. See, these things from God 
are not understandable to us in the sense that we can't believe them, we can't receive them. Why? Well, when we're steeped in the world, we'll miss the things of God. So a spirit must come and overcome those in our lives and enable us to hear them and believe and understand. Then finally this one. Well, two more. Second Timothy chapter four. Just this little expression sends chills up my spine. Paul writes, for demon, Demas, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. When I, when I hear that, my heart sinks and I see the danger. This is exactly what John is warning against. Don't love the world. Why? You'll desert the people of God and God himself. In James 4, you adulterous people, do you, not, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Do you hear all of those together? And I know they're, they're probably fuzzy in your mind because I've read them so quickly and, and all in one lump. You'll need to go back through them perhaps. But you get the sense of it, don't you? That there's something against us. We can't see it, but it's real. It's empowered by the evil one. He's not sovereign because God is sovereign, but God has decreed that he have this power. And this is a deceptive power. It hates Christ. It hates all those who are linked and united with him. Martin Lloyd-Jones, if I may quote him very quickly, is this a summary statement of the world. What does it mean, he says? Clearly, the very text and the whole teaching of the Bible shows that it must mean the organization, the mind, the outlook of mankind as it ignores God and does not recognize him and as it lives a life independent of him, a life that is based upon the world and this life only. It means the outlook that has rebelled against God and turned its back upon God. It means, in other words, the typical kind of life that is being lived by the average person today who has no thought of God but thinks only of this world and life, who thinks in terms of time and is governed by certain instincts and desires. It's the whole outlook, outlook upon life that is exclusive of God. And John says, this is real. It's here. Don't don't love it. Hmm. As we continue again very quickly and ask this question, how did this world come into existence? Why is it like this? I mean, you remember Genesis 1, God created the world. He said it's good. He said it's very good. But then we know something happened. We know as we get to, Ge to Genesis chapter 3, we find that the evil one, Satan, the serpent, comes upon Eve and with this, with this temptation. And this is how the world began, in the way that John is putting it. The way the world began in its creation was Genesis 1 and 2. The way the world began in this sense, as John has it, begins in Genesis 3. And it begins with this expression, did God really say? That's the, the guts of it. Did God really say? To put doubt in the minds, and then to begin with a whole separate then way of understanding life. And that comes not too much farther down Genesis 3. You can be as God. See, if you eat of this tree, 
what you're declaring. It isn't the fruit, it's the declaration. When you eat of this tree, you're declaring that you're the one who determines good and evil, not God. You say, I know it. I am the one, I'm going to be like God. That's what God gets to do. God says this is good and this is evil. God said it's good not to eat of the tree, it's bad to eat of it. It's good to submit to me, it's bad not to. It's evil not to. And they didn't submit to God, but rather to the evil one. They bought the lie, the false prophet. They bought it, and then they implemented it. And then you remember what happened after that. They, they tried to cover it up. They, they tried this self-salvation. Oh, if I, I'm naked, if I only cover, and so they tried to cover themselves with what they had available, none of it sufficient. And then they hid from God. They moved, could we say, using John's language, from light to darkness. They hid from God. And so you see, as John's writing his epistle, he's writing it contra, he's writing it against the world. He's writing it against all of this because he begins by saying, God really has spoken. How's he put it in, in the opening chapter? He said, that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen, which we've looked upon, which we've touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we've seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made man manifest to us. That which we've seen, we've heard, we proclaim to you. You see, God's word is true. And John is saying, we have seen this word. For the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so he says, this word has come, so don't hide. Don't live in darkness. Don't blame your sin on another. You remember even, even Adam, when, when God found him in the garden when he was hiding, <laughs> Adam said, it was this woman that you gave me. Ultimately, God, this was your fault. It was fine until you thought I was needing someone and gave me her. Look what's happened because of that. And she said, well, it was the serpent. So John says, no, the word has come. The eternal life has come. So what should we now do? Live in the light of it. What happens when we live in the light of it? Well, we stop hiding. We stop denying our sin. And we confess our sin. How's he put it? This is the message which we've heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So live in the light. What, what happens when we live in the light? We see it. We sort of sin, we stop hiding. And we say, I can't cover myself. Only you can cover me. Only you can cleanse me from my sin. So you see, John's laying out for us very clearly. Don't love the world. If you love the world, the love of the Father isn't in you. If you love the world, you need to realize that 
the world and its desires are passing away, you'll never be satisfied. But if you do the will of God, that is, if you walk in the light as he is in the light, if you receive his word and confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you do the will of God, you'll abide forever. Let's pray, Father. Please, I pray, in all these words this morning, that we get a deep, deep sense that there is danger in the world, danger in the sense that there is this evil against us, this viewpoint, this way of thinking, this way of understanding life, this way of living that's contrary to real life. And yet we swim in it, it seems. I mean, we're, 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 we're in it. Please, I pray that none of, us, none of it gets in us. We don't imbibe of it. We don't follow it. We don't listen to it. And its ways aren't our ways. Its priorities aren't our priorities. Its values aren't our values. Its understanding of how to flourish in life isn't our understanding about how we're to flourish in life because we know that real life is only found, is only known in knowing Jesus and trusting in him. So please, I pray, strengthen our faith in these days in particular. Well, it's, it's difficult now, we confess. Many of us have been disappointed in things that we've thought and things that we've said in these days, things that we've felt. Please forgive us. May we have the same grace for one another as that you have for us. Let us please walk together in fellowship. If we know that is really what pleases you, direct us, guide us, fill us, strengthen us, enable us to do that which is your will, that which is pleasing in your sight. And this I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Please stand for the benediction. As I do, I remind you that there'll be elders available to pray. They'll be in the, in the new narthex area off to my left, off to your left as you leave the sanctuary in that big space there. So if you have particular needs, please uh, allow them to pray. Um, allow them to pray with and for you. May I just say, it's just good to see you. Um, good to be in this room together, even like this. And uh, thanks for your cooperation and your fellowship. This is difficult, I know, for all of us. But I pray that at the end of the day, at the end of this time, our city will look back at us and say, look, they're still together. How'd that happen? And it will be because of Christ. And we can rejoice, I suspect, one day together in a big gathering here, all of us. Till then, 
love each other until then long for it the longing will make it even the more sweeter when it comes please receive this as God's benediction now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant equip you with everything good for doing his will working in us that which is well pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ our Lord and together let us sing Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and 